is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to wallow in the horrible. Boy, doesn't that sound like fun. What are we going to do? Listen to some of our old shows? Not that horrible. (laughs) (laughs) We're still celebrating being on the air one year, so we are trotting out some of the worst wine writing we have found in that year. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're going to remind you just how bad some wine writing can be with a look at some of the worst stuff we've found in the past year as we continue to celebrate our one-year birthday. We'll also remind you of some important studies we found. They oh really boy. are important. I know Paul loves those. And as usual, <laughs> we will make fun of wine snobs, even the ones who aren't wine writers. Stay with us. to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're continuing to celebrate the miracle that is us surviving on the air for a year. I would have bet against us, And gotten no takers, my friend. (laughs) We're going back to some of the worst wine writing we found in the past year. So, Matt, would you hit our truly horrible wine writing music? that make you happy just makes you know good stuff's coming or bad stuff (laughs) yeah bad stuff so we're going to do this in categories just because because uh why not what's the Uh, first category the first category is jerky descriptions (laughs) okay we should know a lot about (laughs) those that's right um there is uh the you know there it's the thing where uh as they describe the wine to you the wine writer is proving that he or she is a jerk or at okay. least is pretending to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is the essence of being a wine snob, yes. right? Yeah, exactly right. right. So, so we're going to start with uh, my favorite. You know, we've okay. talked about this in the past, uh, yep. but I love this one. There's an edgy mineral aspect to the plusher fruit, quince, tarragon, parlished barley, orange oil, and Charente mellow. Richness is there, but since it's a bit wound up, another six months in the bottle wouldn't hurt. Yep. I, so and, and we may remember uh, we barely know what quince is. <laughs> yeah, well, but my question is, how long do you have to polish the barley? Well, that's a good question. I think uh, maybe six months. I said, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, and, and I've mentioned this to someone else who wanted, has said that we had misunderstood that it was actually polished barley, and it was <laughs> barley that was produced by Polish people. Entirely possible. It has the, the spiciness of Polish sausage. Um, and orange oil, because it can't just be orange. It no, has to be orange oil. orange oil. And then a favorite, and this is maybe the premier example of wine writer knuckleheadedness, which is Charente Melon. Yes. And as we've said in the past, you know, I also have spent some time as a food writer, and I had never heard of Charente melon. It comes from the Charente in France. Well, that's exactly right. It turns out it's a little French cantaloupe, and it tastes exactly like what, Paul? A cantaloupe. Yes. (laughs) So it could have tasted like cantaloupe, but that doesn't. No, it had to be a Charente melon instead. Exactly. All right. Oh, you got another one from you. Oh, yeah. I got one here that I love. This is a wine critic trying to tell the story (laughs) Ah, of the wine. The grapes were harvested in late October and macerated with the skins for a full month. After fermentation, a portion of the wine was aged in French Nevers and Allier oak barrels for 18 months, resulting in layered complexity. The wine is plush and firm. The dark berried fruit is also light, and it's lined with fine tannins. It's just beginning to show some maturity and leafy sotobosco notes, giving the fruit an autumnal feel. Ah, autumnal. So the first half is completely and totally unnecessary for starters. Right. right. And that and that's you know, right. this is one of the things is that wine wine writers are often told, I've been in enough of these seminars over the years, that tell a story. Tell a story. So they think how the sto- this wine is made. The so they technical think, aspects of how a wine is yes. made is not a story. No. It's boring chemistry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, but I also like that Sotobosco just means leafy or underground or crown cover, so they could yeah, have just said— forest floor. They yeah. could have said forest floor, but instead they said Sotobosco. Yeah. Because yeah. that shows they speak Italian. Although I'm willing to bet if you called up this writer and said, Ma, che parla italiano? <laughs> you would have said, I'm sorry, I only speak Sotobosco. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, mine comes from another one of those serious writers. It's oh, just yes. a serious— The best kind. Oh, uh, yes. The best kind. The, and I won't use the names, the winemaker's name, has a perfectly tuned style that makes the best of the vineyard's extreme coastal site. Barrel fermentation and aging in mostly older oak with a final stay in steel to tighten the wine. The result is both sharp-edged and limpid. <laughs> Yellow raspberries, pippin apple, beaked hazelnut, and the intense <laughs> mineral signature found in all wines from this oh, yeah. land. Okay, so the first thing i got to say is, and we talked about this before, I happen to know this, but I cited somebody who knows this even better, which is the Indiana Berry Company, that yellow raspberries taste the exact same. All raspberries taste the same, red, yellow, dark. Right. The only difference is they're a little softer, so they're harder to ship. They don't ship well. So the yeah. wine shows that apparently the fruit doesn't ship well. Well, I like beaked hazelnut. Beaked hazelnut. What does that mean? Uh, well, it's a hazelnut with a really big nose. Oh, oh, I thought it might be hazelnut that birds ate. No, but the line in there that I think is really funny is a stay in steel to tighten the wine. Yes. There is absolutely, that means absolutely nothing at of, all. Of course it doesn't. Because steel is a neutral storage container and, and it doesn't do do anything except leave the wine the same way it got there when you put it in there to begin with. And, and what does tighten the wine mean Tighten anyway? the wine means, well, it means that they squeeze that stainless steel tank very, very loosely, and it squeezes that wine together and tightens it. I see, I see. And then when it comes out of the bottle, it just pops out. It just leaps, it leaps <laughs> yeah. out of the glass. I, I also liked uh, sharp-edged and limpid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is kind of... Uh, and, it makes me wish it said sharp-edged and limpid, because then at least we would have known it would go well with seafood. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there you go. All right. Here's a good one, too. This was uh, – um, oh, no, yours. You got you Yeah, got I got one, one now. You got one, Let, one of your get, favorite words. Give me, give, me, give me a shot at this one. Yeah. Tangy, minty, energetic, and vigorous. Full body with a light mouthfeel. Frisky and exciting, but – calm and seductive from a nine-month nap in French and American oak. Aromatic mid-tones lead to a mild raspberry and leather elements, high-toned tannins, and a piquant finish. <laughs> yes. And I, what I that remember... is not piquant, by the way. That's no, piquant. piquant. And I, I don't think what the writer actually understands the use of the word piquant. It's supposed to mean spicy in the way of a pepper. Pepper or spicy in the way of hotsy tatsy. Yeah, right, right, right. It is so you don't want to. Well, wine. maybe who knows? Maybe, maybe he's maybe talking about wine. seductive. Yeah. He's maybe talking about this wine as being really more of an aphrodisiac and less of an actual bottle of wine. Yes, although I like... how it becomes energetic, vigorous, frisky, exciting, calm, <laughs> all at the same time. First Where the heck say... does calm come from? Well, it's the nine the nine month nap. The nine month it calms nap. you down when when That's your wine. Right. You know what? So when your wine is acting up, what you do is you, you don't make want it to take a nap. It. You put it in the corner. You say, take a nap. You take a nap. Yes. it's your The wine got a timeout. <laughs> <laughs> For being too frisky and energetic. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Okay, this okay, one so comes— so what have you got now? This is from a major national news writer, and I think this is in some ways the definition of the jerky wine writing because it's so high-toned, nose in the air, while pretending not to be. Okay. Because it starts with, wine doesn't have to be complicated. 
And now, okay. in the Rhone Valley, I always look for calcareous soil and altitude when I can. A vintage with a high number of degree-growing days and acceptable bricks. pH levels can also be a cue. <laughs> there are some good villages and appellations to look for in the Baume de Venise, uh, the Vaquera, Rasto, and Liroc. Okay, I know all of those places because I'm the average person out there. I know what that what is. Well, you know, what, more importantly, less, less than knowing the villages in in the Rome, which fair enough. Why I mean, you know, they are the French talk about them, so you got to sort of know Vaqueron and, and Baume de Venise and things. But, but but you have to know French wine to know those but, things. And and the other, but the one that really I love here is he says it doesn't have to be complicated. Yes. and then he rattles off <laughs> right. calcareous soils, um, uh, degree days, bricks, and pH, all of which are terms that only. Only any knowledgeist would actually have any reason to know about a wine. And who's going to know that? He, well, he does. Well, but so you, you don't you wish you were as you, smart as him? Well, you can't even go to the website and find out most of that stuff. You know, I mean, you <laughs> call right. the winery, they won't know. They won't know. You know that's that right. Is, what are the degree days just, for 2013? So, that that's the that's a. I think this is well. This wine writer, I don't want to really. You know, I don't. I don't want. I, I would actually give away because, but. This is a wine writer beating his chest saying, look how smart I am. Well, the, and, and pH levels can also be a clue. Rick, there are lots of clues in the world. <laughs> but, or I'm sorry, it can be a cue. A but cue. He doesn't tell you what it means. Right. pH levels can be a cue. Yes, they could also be high or low. And what does that tell you about the wine? They don't actually explain anything. It just says yes. pH levels can be a cue. And an acceptable brick. Cue What's an ex- the ridiculous wine writing music. Right. An acceptable brick, which is the sugar level when the, when the grapes are harvested. But right. what's acceptable? What is acceptable? And yes. he doesn't have the courage to put that down. He just flaunts these terms. Yes, yes. We so, don't flaunt terms. We don't. No, we don't. We, we, we flail at them is what we do. We flail at terms. All right, so you have can, one Can now. I do a beer one? Yes, you have one you know, from our—it was from our St. Patrick's Day Yeah, show. but, you know, it's because beer beer people can be just as geeky as wine people. This is true. Bourbon and sour notes on the nose, aged for 12, 10 to 12 months in a barrel from Ironweed, a local distillery. Ginger, coriander, lemongrass, and bitter orange peel on the palate— Echoes of a sorghum-based brew, but less West Coast influence. A sour note arises in the Britannomyces lactobacillus sort of way. Well, who doesn't say that? Well, first of all, doesn't that sound like something you'd really like to flush down your toilet? Yum, yum, yeah. Rather than put in your mouth. Yes. And then um, I, I love the idea... That um, a sorghum-based brew. One of the jokes in my family is we drive down the road. You know, you drive through farming country and you look out in the fields and you always try to identify what it is they're growing. And, oh, the corn looks good. And, oh, I think those are tomatoes. Well, whenever we don't know what it is, it's sorghum. Of course it is. Because nobody knows what sorghum is. Yes. And this guy it's, it's what's in the beer. <laughs> well, yeah. it's a sorghum-based brew. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I love the Britannomyces lactobacillus sort of way. Uh, of are those Now, are, were those the two gladiators in Ben-Hur, um, uh, Britannomyces and lactobacillus? Uh, no, no, that was, uh, this was those, they were in Star Wars. <laughs> they were, they Star were the, Wars. they were the, yeah, uh, the... Yeah. Our next batch is is some goofy stuff. Uh, and well, we should do better with these. Yes. Cause, well, cause and so, so this is in our wheelhouse. You have a you have a, an, an adorable little one coming right up there. Yes, I do. This one's this one, boy. You know, you got to wonder if y- you almost want to hear um, um, Elmer Fudd reading this one. No, it's a little shy wine. 
like a gazelle, like a leprechaun, dappled in a tapestry meadow. Yeah, I can, dip, 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 dip. I can see bugs running along with this small. And maybe this, <laughs> maybe <it's, laughs> this is this is dappled just, in a tapestry meadow. Yes, what is it? Cue the strings. And and this is this is Julie just, Andrews. This is somebody reaching for an absurd description of something just because. And uh, I'm sorry, but gazelles and leprechauns. I mean, gazelle is elegant. A leprechaun. I, yeah. Well, yeah, I often, unless you've got a gazelle that is a leprechaun, I don't know that that's possible. <laughs> Maybe leprechauns ride gazelles. In tapestry meadows, yes. <laughs> yes right. Right. I think this is My Little Pony Wine. Is that the label? Is My that's Little Pony That's it, My Little Pony Wine. Well, it sounds a bit like my next one. Okay, go for it. Offers a racy aroma but tames quickly. Mm. No need for a whipping chair. <laughs> it's dill-tinged Ed climbs the stairs and enters the hallway of dark berry mocha Raspberry and subtle earth gaining persistence on the finish. Best from this other part, like best from 2014 through 2037. Not not 2038. Yes. Why? I write. Apparently 37. Right. 37. Per, yeah. 37. It falls this off is, the table. This is like this is what. So I think how sometimes somebody figures out that year is they roll dice and whenever the dice come <laughs> out, it's number. a three and a, yeah, thirty. Right. Yeah. The uh, but I love I love this. Uh, no the, need for a whip in a chair. Yeah. Teams quickly. This was this was another. This is another one of those like let's tell a story about the wine. So he's re- reaching for like an active. There's action as this writer is, is doing the yeah, description. Yeah, but I can imagine a bar in San Francisco where this could be the house wine, and you put that description on there, and you could sell a lot of wine. Well, I think you'd sell a wine if you said you do need a whipping chair. Um, I also like that it climbs the stairs and enters the hallway of Darkerberry Mocha Raspberry and Subtle Earth. You kind of wonder what's in the hallway. Yeah. As you f- go further down the hallway, what's behind those doors in the hallway? And what if, is there, if you turned left, was there a different, uh, the room of, well, that's it. of it, light cherry? If you, and... if you, if you went the other way in the hallway, you discovered the leprechaun with the gazelle. Yeah, it's ent- entirely entirely possible. <laughs> All right, we have um, a, a couple quick ones from the our Valentine's Day show because they were uh, Valentine's Day like. Well, this one I think fits right in with the whip in the chair a little bit um, because it starts with this wine has too many clothes on. You can't see the body at all. I like the pieces, but I don't like the package. I think this wine's name is Violet, and I want to take her out dancing all night. (laughs) You know what? I like that last part. I don't. I I actually I have to say well except for the middle line which makes no sense I like the pieces but not the package yeah, yeah. but but the idea if if you kind of use that wine has too many clothes on you can't see the body which means that there's I could mean that there's so much going on that you kind of you know but I, you know but I do like uh, the violet but yeah the fact that you can't explain it means it right ain't as I say that you're absolutely right yeah but okay. I do like the wine's name is violet so I, do you have any say, opaque descriptions to share with well, us? Well, it is. It's, the wine is opaque, but seems to be wearing ruby lipstick. It has sexy <laughs> oak spice aromas, is suggestive for red and black currant, cherry and vanilla, and comes from an alluring bright accent. The plush palette staining fruits are sexy, and an intense dark berry preserves and cherry cola finish. Its finish has impressive energy that could last all night. Well. And this was, uh, we, we know what this writer was thinking about. That's someone who ought to walk down that hallway with the whip in the chair. <laughs> that's entirely right. That is a uh, that is a, a a bit of writing that um, that uh, it's I, I, titillating. I think would be the word titillating. So can I can I ask? Is it is it Shiraz? Is it Cabernet? What is it that they're actually describing here? This was opaque but ruby lead red lipstick. No, this was a Pinot Noir. 
a Pinot Noir that's yeah, opaque. Yeah. Well, that's a bad sign right yeah, there, right, a Pinot Noir true. that's opaque. Yeah, but it is sexy. Mm. All right, that's it for now. There is plenty more horrible wine writing Oh, there's an just endless ahead. supply and, of in- bad wine and writing. And we have it for you. Coming right up. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to take questions from listeners. Okay. You got any questions for us? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Because, uh, you know, it wouldn't be Rick and Paul without questions from listeners. We, uh, If you'd like to ask us a question, by the way, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine, and look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free with just a little bit of click. And since we've been at this for a year, and you might be new to us, and you're wondering what the heck we are doing answering questions or making fun of bad wine writing, for that well, matter. Well, everybody ought to make fun of bad wine writing. I so. think it's just that simple. It's an open door. That's it's, right. And leads to the hallway of dark. And if you do it, if you do it, you can last on it for a year on the radio. <laughs> there you go. But even even with all of that incompetence <laughs> in front of you, Paul is actually a respected industry pro. He was a year ago before this all started. <laughs> he answers questions at allexperts.com. He teaches in Napa Valley College, the Culinary Institute of America, around the world. He just got back from a cruise with Sunset, yep. Uh, yep. You know, teaching right. wine every night. Yeah. And Rick is a New York Times best-selling author about wine, a longtime journalist, wine commentator on uh, Capital Public Radio, consults with restaurants, consults with wineries. Um, my understanding is they never take your advice. If the smart ones don't know. <laughs> the smart ones don't even pay me. <laughs> so who's asking for advice our, today? All right. Our first one, we start with a question from uh, Kevin Ostrowski in Beaver, Pennsylvania. I'm actually, we're going back a few months because we, yes. I like the question, but I also like the fact that he was from Beaver, Pennsylvania. You know, am I, am I wrong? Isn't Joe Namath from from Beaver, Pennsylvania. I have no idea. I, I think that may be true. If, if it, well, we can we could look Maybe it up. Maybe it's Beaver Falls. We could we could Google it, but we say somebody call us. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. I, I, he's, I think he's it's right next to Cleaver, Pennsylvania. But that's <laughs> uh, anyway. Here is his email question, and I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it's very important to read the first sentence. I very much enjoy the show. Oh, well, there you go. See? <laughs> Thanks for keeping it grounded, Kevin says. He, okay. He did say that. He also said, I understand the basis for decanting and uncorking some red wines early to encourage oxidation or opening of a wine. Please talk about what differences you taste when a wine opens up. I've heard some of my wine friends talk about this term, but I'm convinced they, <laughs> they don't know because they've never tasted the same wine before it was decanted. Right. So what, what is it? What happens and what wines would you wait uh, to open and what wines uh, don't you need to do that? So this is really way beyond the level of our expertise because this is actually an intelligent question. Right? Yes. Sorry, Kevin, but we'll give it a shot anyway. <laughs> because uh, remember that what you smell coming from a glass of wine is what evaporates into the air. That's the simple way to think about it. It's evaporating it in the air. If it didn't evaporate, you wouldn't smell it. So decanting or putting wine in a glass and swirling the wine exposes more of the surface of the wine to the air, which means more stuff evaporates. And that's what you get when you talk about a wine opening up, is more of the aromatic elements of the wine are evaporating into the air so that you can smell more of them. And often uh, with with a a bottle of wine, especially a younger bottle of wine that's just been Mm -hmm. opened, there's a little SO2 left in the bottle. It's it's, uh, That's a geeky term. Sulfur dioxide, but it's just a little bit of the sulfur that has been in the bottle. So sometimes sometimes if you open a bottle of wine and taste it right away, it just has a a flatness, a bitterness, you know, and it's not, not at any great level. Um, and that and that's the first thing to blow off. You know, one of the things that happens if you think about uh, 
You think about like liquid, right? If you make olive oil, I mean salad oil and don't sh- or salad dressing, don't shake it up. You got your oil and you got your vinegar, and the oil floats on top. Well, well, aromas, you know, f- uh, things that are in gas form have the exact same differences in weights. So the lighter stuff floats away first, and so you know what happens is as the wine opens up, the the deeper, often the deeper, heavier. Uh, aromas start to come out. In and- fact, if you really want, and be, to, getting back to Kevin's question and the, and the point he's making, if you want to pass your master psalm exam, and I know, Rick, that that's something you've always wanted to do. Yes, as soon as I start uh, studying for study it. Yes, for, that's you know, right, take- then you hope to pass yes. it. Yes. Um, one of the things they teach you is that when someone pours you a glass of wine, it's really interesting to smell the wine first without swirling it at all. Right. You right. just smell it straight out of the bottle right. because there those lighter aromatic elements are evaporating, but nothing else is. And then you swirl it and you expose more of that wine to air and more stuff evaporates. That is something that I actually I always do when I'm judging. You know, you, Paul and I both judge a lot of wine competitions. And, and because I think that, one, it tells you a couple things about the wine when you, you know, just what's in it. Um, and uh, But also how much it changes and how much it's going to change mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm. much depth is in a wine. You can sort of get that. Yep. This is kind of a fun thing to do just on the own. Yeah. So, and, so and basically, if you swirl it enough, it all evaporates, and then it's a then you get to write about it being an extremely dry wine. Yeah. Yes. 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 All right. I have another one. This is from Cheryl in Sacramento. Okay. Uh, uh, and Paul, you get a lot of questions like this, um, and and I, they I keep get asking these... me because I don't answer them. I guess. Yes. Well, <laughs> you get you get this sort of thing on on uh, allexpert.com. I know too. But so right. this was my husband. and I have a bottle of I won't name the wine. But it's a very good Napa Cabernet, and she said mm-hmm. we've been waiting to open it. It's from 1998. We keep waiting and waiting for the right time. Have we waited too long? Well, um, so so yeah. There's, yes, but so the, the 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 thing is, and and people aren't supposed to remember this. We need to do a whole show on this. But 1998 was a year where some of the wines actually, the, just the structure of many of the wines was pretty solid, and so that. They uh, it it probably isn't gone, but it's not. It's now a very old wine. It's going to take the fruit's going to have changed. First of all, it's going to be different. First of all, where did she store the wine? Uh, in, a, in a wine, she's, uh, it was a wine refrigerator. This was actually from oh, okay. Yeah, it was in okay. a wine fridge. So it's yeah. actually in a wine fridge. Because yeah. if this wine was stored either in a normal refrigerator or in a cabinet over the oven or over the refrigerator in your kitchen, the answer is it's probably shot. It's probably tired and tire, unattractive and uninteresting. Um, it, it, given that it was stored under good conditions, wine is still perfectly nice. Um, here's the problem. You age a wine like this, and I always say you need to have at least three bottles. Because you open up the bottle, and it's either perfect, and you wish, gosh, I wish I had another couple bottles yeah. of this. <laughs> or you open it, and you think, gosh, I wish I'd waited a little longer. Yeah. If I had a couple bottles, you'd wait a little. And if you open it, you know, you got, you got to track it a First, little bit. The downside of this was, this was not a cheap wine. Um, right. You know, but and there's a, yes. And so, but I told her, oh, just take just it out tonight it and drink Because it. most wineries these days will tell you their wines are made for drinking more or less now. Except for the one that goes to 2037. Right. That's the That other. one. Well, but you could start drinking in 2014. So yeah. <laughs> maybe you should have drunk half the bottle last there year. There you go. Yeah. And save the other half for 2037. Well, but then there's this other thing. And and this is a difficult it this is a funny thing and I know the feeling, you know, and it's it's that 
when people have a nice bottle of wine, especially something they think they're going to save for a special occasion. They really want to save it for a special occasion. And the occasion is never and special enough. Never, that's right. And then you get to the end, you look at the bottle seven years later, and you think, dang, I, that thing's already dead. We you know, should have drunk it a long time and ago. I, I love the Washington, the Wall, the Washington the Wall Street Journal uh, couple, Dorothy Gator and her husband. Uh, yep. um, they always they had a monthly open that bottle night. They yep. sort of set this national, they tried to yep. set a national open that bottle night yep. so people would just go in and, and uh and dig it. And you know, so if anybody is listening to this and you have something good, drink uh, it. Drink it. You got, you got if to, you need an occasion, invite us over. Yes. We'd be happy to help. Yes. And and toast us and say, here's to one year of uh, Rick and Paul uh, hanging out on the air, boring <laughs> still the alive. Hands, still answering dumb <laughs> questions with d- even dumber answers. No, good questions with dumb answers. There you go. Um, and so, yes. All right. Well, we have lots more celebration of um, our, and more. A couple, well, no, that's it for questions. I think we're going to go back to bad wine writing and some of the other stuff that we have discovered in the past year. Oh, good. In the meantime, if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. Coming back in just a second. Stay with us. Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are still dazed by our being on the air for an entire year. Dazed that no one has called the FCC or yanked us off the you, air. You, I'm, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, and uh, and it could ha- not. We're saying it couldn't happen in the next half hour. <laughs> Sorry, but, there's still time. But that, there's still time. <laughs> but and we're we're about to show you why it could possibly happen. Uh, among the things that we have done over the year, because I just love this stuff, I, I scour the world for these weird, goofy, sometimes useful studies yes, about do. the wine industry. Yes, you do. And and here's a couple that, that, that we found um, over the years, uh, in the past year. This one is actually maybe my favorite. <laughs> It's from the Journal of Physical Chemistry, which you know I read every evening, Paul. <laughs> that's, right, that's right. Still trying to make it past the title page, aren't <laughs> that's you? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can barely get past the word physical. Uh, and it was, it was published a study from the University of Reims, Champagne-Ardenne, uh, where is the heart of, of Champagne country, of course, um, about the number of bubbles in Champagne. This because is this is critical research. This is critical this research. Is life and death. This is a scientist who he deals with the the fizz in champagnes, actually, to help champagne makers. But this is mm-hmm. what he came up. Uh, he figured out that the there in a standard glass of wine, and this is important. Write this down. There are one million bubbles. Are there now? So five million bubbles in a bottle. And by the way, the important thing to note for all of you who are out there noting things, um, I've always hated that, by the way. Note this. Nobody note actually this. notes. <laughs> um, is that it is down from their official estimate uh, of only a year or two ago of oh, 10 million that's bubbles. That's right. So half the bubbles in champagne have disappeared. Apparently, Where have they gone, They, right? they are. Ooh, that's, there's a song in that. <laughs> where have the bubbles in your champagne gone? <laughs> where, oh, where have the bubbles gone? Long time. <laughs> Never mind. All right. And that's then, excellent. And then there was this study. And, um, and this one was actually a little bit useful. I, I know. Okay. I know. Most people who okay. listen to us find that hard yeah. to believe. But <laughs> what are they doing in our show? <laughs> That's true. This was from a group called Watt Wine. It's actually a bunch of British wine pros and tech experts. And mm-hmm. they what they do is they sort of keep an eye on supermarket wine. And frankly, the U.S. could use this because the U.S. wine people sort of completely disregard supermarket wine. Right. But they examined six thousand bottles of wine over two years, and they found wait, wait. examined. 
Does that mean they drank 6,000 bottles I'm going to guess years? that's the word. That, yes, okay, yes. so that's 3,000 bottles a year. That's roughly 10 bottles a day. And they may have tasted You know, I'm going to examine a couple of bottles tonight, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but they examined 6,000. That's funny. That's actually good. Um, and they found that 35% of them, so one-third, more than one-third, were light damaged. Light damaged. We always talk about storing wine in, in not cool, in the light. dark, dark. place. Yes. Yes. Uh, I've been cold. My brain has been cold. <laughs> um, but a fl- calm, is calm. Uh, fluorescent light is particularly hard on wine. Yep. And it can damage it sometimes with, uh, within hours. And so it, the wines that are most affected are often the whites because they come in the clear, in bottles. clear bottles. And rosés right. may be even the worst because yep. they've shown and off the color. And those bottles that have been in the shop window, you know, when you – Yeah. That, those, are, those are the ones you should never buy. Yeah, yeah. So what does this mean to you, dear consumer and listener of, of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul? Here we actually have some real advice. So, <laughs> first time in a year. I know. Write this down. <laughs> Note. <laughs> Note. Note. So obviously, don't get that bottle of wine that's sitting in the, in the store window. But also, you know, in those big displays in the supermarket. Yep. And there's often the wine sitting out. You know, in a, in a cart with apples and and, and flowers. Take don't, the one that's in the box. Take the one that's in the box, or go to the wine aisle because they're going to also be in the wine right. aisle. And right. and then don't take the one in the front. And this is the other part of it. You're the guy who tells people not to take that. To, first tomato in the in the in the display too, right? Because everybody picks that tomato. Oh, up they and squish gives, at it. That's true. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is. I mean, I think there may be this like consumer thing where you tend to reach around, but always take a second. One. But in wine, it actually matters. Just don't take that first. The bottles that are standing out there in the display, if you can possibly help it, or if right. there's in there's cases there that's you know, totally there's fine. Another, yeah. There's another little bit of suggestion here that I'd like to make because I was in a wine shop just the other day, and they had normal supermarket shelving for the wines, and we all know cheap. Wines on the bottom shelf, and then the sort of bargain wines at the knee level. Right, and then you start getting into the good stuff. Say from your waist to your to your the top of your head, and then on the very top shelf are all the water bottles that wouldn't fit stuff. down below. Oh. but yeah, mainly pretty expensive stuff. But it was fascinating. I just did a little tiny experiment. I grabbed a bottle off the bottom shelf, and I grabbed a bottle off the top shelf. Mm. Oh, I see what you're saying. It different, yeah, it's I got gotcha. you. I, okay. I I was thinking that the I have another I- but, interesting thought. So but. I'm grabbing the top shelf bottle and the bottom shelf bottle, and I can feel to my bare naked hands it's difference in temp. There's a big difference in temperature, mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. 10 degrees, and the stuff that's sitting on top is probably too warm to be. And of course, what is it directly underneath when it's up there on that top shelf? Under the lights, fluorescent lights. Well, this last is, bottle you should buy is the one up there on the top shelf. This just made me think of something else rather I would like to argue interesting, and I know you don't hear me say thought of and interesting in the same <laughs> sentence very often, is so when you go to most supermarkets, you know, the 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 least expensive wine is on the bottom shelf right. and it works its way up. We have this right. tendency to the top shelf of everything, right? So the most expensive wines in the supermarket are the uns, ones on the top shelf. Right. And once again, it's the, the they're getting exposed to all that light. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. I think that's what I just said, right? No, you were talking about the same wines. Oh, I'm okay. talking about the fact that they put the okay. best wines up there, too. <laughs> okay. yeah. So, uh, yeah, top, uh, top shelf does not mean best storage conditions when it comes to wine. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of top shelf, I think that is us. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So um, we're going we're gonna to go back to some of the bottom shelf writing <laughs> that we've had over the last past year. Uh, we are. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And when we come back, more of that horrible wine writing that we've been telling you about. Stay with us.
You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Uh, there it is again, which means we are going back to that really bad writing that we love so more, much. More, more. We want more yeah. bad wine you writing. You know, I, I, I sometimes don't know. You know, as before we started doing the show, it used to just make my head hurt. Uh, and now whenever I see uh, bad wine writing, I get happy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You think, oh, boy. Because we get to use it. That's right. So this is our this next batch uh, would more or less be described as lists. Lists. You know, where, okay. where wine writers just start listing how many, things. How many descriptors can I put in a single sentence? Yes, and, and generally some of those descriptors are just completely wacko. Okay, uh, I got one for you. You got then. one. Go for okay, it. Okay, start with this one. Mushroomy. With a nice chunkiness, rustic, good earthiness, foresty tones. Surprising texture and length. After 30 minutes open, spice, fruit, peppermint <laughs> stick like a candy store. So I have to say that nice chunkiness may be one of my favorite descriptors we've uncovered all year. <laughs> you say that about me occasionally. Well, I do, yeah. I see. You're not the only one. The, 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 the women at the station are saying, you know that, Paul? He's got a nice, <laughs> nice no, chunkiness. I'm not going that direction. No, but here's the one I like. Surprising texture and length. So if it's surprising, wouldn't it be helpful to tell us whether it's long or short and whether the texture is, say, smooth or coarse? No. You know why? Because you would be surprised. It would, be, it would ruin the surprise. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> what the heck is this guy doing for a living? He's not writing about wine. Yes, and peppermint stick. Peppermint so, stick like a candy cane. But in the, here's the thing. So what this was, I, I do remember what this wine was, and it was a Syrah. Wow. Because that was the mushroom and the chunkiness and the and rustic. The candy, and yeah. the candy cane. And the candy cane. Where does that come from? Because the bottle had stripes on it. <laughs> Entirely possible. Yeah, that's wow. that's a pretty fun one. Okay, All right. what have you got? Now, this one's a little bit long, so folks, should I just say be a little patient. This comes from a, 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 a mid-sized uh, newspaper, um, but it's a, a guy who's out there a lot. And so I need to read you some of this because it goes on and on. And he and he's really saying that to tell me to shut up so he can get through this. Uh, well, I, I wish I could tell Paul to shut up. <laughs> In the glass, wine is a light butter yellow color with a star bright core going out into a faint glass clear rim definition uh, with light to medium viscosity. Okay, that's just the description of the look of it. This is that's just that's you know way too much information. It's, it's, right it's, there. It's, it is all of that is doesn't need to be there. Just right. doesn't have to be there. Okay, right. on the nose there are fresh notes of crushed white fruit from pomelo, white cranberries, stone rose, white flowers, Asian pear, and subtle hints of white rose petals and white corn, as well as soft minerality and altogether wonderfully fragrant package. I'm, we're pausing now. That's, I'm, excuse me. I'm exhausted. Can we take a break? That's just on the nose. Okay. <laughs> There's seven aromas. And, and, right. and we're going to talk about stone rose in just a second. Then, well, we're going to also talk about white flowers. Yes. Because uh, white flowers, I mean, what are they? Daisies? Are they lilies? Are they what are they? They're camellias. Are, oh, I'm sorry. Which it says have white no flowers. smell. How would you? <laughs> camellias have no, no smell. Um, on the palate, the wine is Ultra suave with a Swedish pear and white currant entry, followed by citrus rind, dried apricots, buttery anise components. <laughs> no traces of wood in that lively mineral component, so desirable in a Pinot Gris. Uh, the mid palate is lovely and balanced, marrying the white fruit with the acidity just right and transitioning in the surprising long finish with a zesty key lime kick. Okay, so let's re examine here. That's... I'm ultra suave with a Swedish pear and white currant entry. I've heard people say that about you. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was Swedish pear as yeah. country. Swedish, yeah. yeah. Uh, so but he what's has, buttery anise? Uh, well, 
that's it's anise that has been dipped in butter. <laughs> I have no anise. So yeah. those six flavors are not any of the smells. Right. So th- you know, so you smell one thing and you taste something completely different, and yet it doesn't strike this person as being unusual. That given that taste is almost exclusively smell anyway, that there should be some sort of incongruity there. It doesn't uh, strike this person that that he made up the phrase stone rose either. <laughs> I thought that was a rock band from the yes. 60s. Well, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it smells like the band. <laughs> um, and, and, and just, uh, uh, yeah, there is an English rock band. You are absolutely right. I, I'm, I'm looking at notes from our old show, and you are completely right. Um, and by the way, and I, what I did, you know, I, because I, I, I had never heard the phrase stone rose, and so I, I checked around and went to one of the authorities on this was the Purdue University Cooperative Extension Service because they have a, they a, a big, big, big thing on roses yeah. and the, there's no such thing. There is no such thing and as the, a stone rose. And there the, has to be because he smelled it yes, in this wine. Yes, And not only that, so all the things he smelled, none of those came up in the winemaker's notes of the wine itself. Uh, well, and, the wine obviously changed after it went in the bottle. Yes. And this is— Because what does the winemaker say about it? He says it has lifted aromas— of honeysuckle, lemon zest, nutmeg, and wet stone, developing to richer aromas of lychee, beeswax, and melon. Okay, so none of those are even close to what the other guy's talking no. about. And I have no I idea it, what lifted I aromas think, are. I think it probably smells like wine. It probably does. It smells like Pinot Gris. That's kind of what we know. That's <laughs> right. Gris, yeah. That's right. Yes. Wow. That, that was a lot of writing that has no help to any of his readers. Yeah. Well, it felt good, though, I'll bet. You it's, know? it's fun to make fun of. Uh, it's a, I bet it felt good to write all that stuff. <laughs> okay, so how did. about this one? Zesty purple-pink wine, reflecting its youth and its jaunty spirit. This wine is dominated by the flavors of banana, strawberry, bubblegum, fig, pears, quince, cranberry sauce, sweet pie, and grape, (laughs) and it is not to be missed. Okay, so here's two things. First off, it's dominated, and he lists nine. Dominated. Dominated. That's not a domination. That's a stew. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're yes, right. Yes. It's dominated by one. So apparently, maybe what it is is these nine flavors, they're a gang. They are. That's and right. And what they do is they that's terrorize all the other flavors. They're a junta of flavors. <laughs> they are. <laughs> so they, they well, be- he should say that then. He should say dominated by a junta of flavors. <laughs> <laughs> Including I'm, mean old bubblegum fig uh, yeah. and that nasty cranberry sauce. Yes. Yeah. Oh, dear Lord. And I, here's the one line I do like. It's grape. Grape. Could have started. Now, wait you know, a minute. You, are gr- you telling like me grape. that this wine is dominated by flavors of grape? Yes. Could have just said that. <laughs> and then it tastes, it tastes like wine. What do you think the wine was made of, Rick? <laughs> I, I'm, I thought bubblegum. And, and, and <laughs> bubblegum, fig, <laughs> and banana. It's a little sweet pie. <laughs> you mix it together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. okay. I'm going to spend too much time amusing ourselves on this one. <laughs> okay, so, go so for the it. The next what do you got? Is, a, is, is one from a winery. And, you know, we always talk about how the wineries do themselves no favors it's by trying true. to market their wine in indecipherable descriptions. This one is, uh, it says, the wine starts with more tea and tobacco at first, but as it opens up, the big dark cocoa notes rise up. Mm. Hints of eucalyptus, black cherry, plum, and violet adds a complex layer to the nose. Remember, still on the nose here. The blackberry, dried cherry, roasted tea, and medium and dark chocolate are dominant on the palate. There we go again. Yeah. The combination of French and American oak adds vanilla, and toast, and toffee notes, and the eucalyptus and violet linger on the end. The finish lasts forever with a wonderful cherry blackberry pie character. Enjoy slightly chilled. <laughs> wow. So there's one line in here I actually like. 
because it says the combination and it, it it's in the combination of French and American oak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it says oak adds vanilla toast and toffee notes. And you know what? That's what oak does. That's what oak does. Yeah. So, and, but y- yeah. all oak does that. Yeah. To all wines. So maybe unnecessary, but at the same time, that actually is a true statement in here. Yeah, and and it stands know, out. And actually, it's sort of a, a, a little <laughs> minor educational point. Yeah, it stands out right. from the rest of it. Right, and in some ways, and I do like that they say that. Yeah, they didn't need to say the you know it's the winery they're over over talking, but you know it is not a bad thing. We we talk about this a lot when like we talked about some of these earlier ones. We said it's a surprising finish, meaning what? Meaning what? Yeah, and, That's and right. most people don't know what you mean when you say it has hints of oak or that. Uh, Yes, you should. PH is a clue. Oh, PH is a is yeah. a Q. A Q. Yeah, it's my it's, it's my cue to stop reading. The one here I like too is that as it opens up, a big dark chocolate, big dark cocoa note rises up, and it reminds me of those little sippy cups with the kids with the big dark oh, cocoa yeah. note in the bottom. And as you finish the glass, there's that thing looking at you at the bottom of the glass. I think that's what they mean. I think they serve this wine in the tasting room with a big dark cocoa nut (laughs) in the bottom of the glass. (laughs) I I like medium and dark chocolate. Yeah. First of all, I don't even know what medium chocolate is. Well, it's between light and dark. Oh, okay. All right. So it's medium (laughs) chocolate. Fair enough there. All right. Actually, medium chocolate is chocolate made by people who can see into the future. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes, that's what it is. This is a predictive chocolate. All right. Well, if you listen to this show at all, and and, uh, both heaven help and God bless you if you have, um, you know that Paul has a few wine-writing words that drive him a little bit bonkers. Absolutely true. Uh, So we've handcrafted a list of a few of those. You didn't really say handcrafted, did you? I was being ironic. (laughs) All right. So let's go through a couple of your favorite words. Okay. Well, let's start off the bat with the one that the the French in particular absolutely love to say about their wines, which is le minerality. Or in English, minerality. Yes, I know. I'm, uh, yes, it is the word that we wail on this word, and we will again. And we've even had winemaker in here talking about trying to defend it. And uh, and the problem is nobody can define it. It's that's the problem. That is the problem. And and you don't need you can you know this is the thing there are mineral elements sometimes like that last description had something where it was whetstone right that, that's one of them yep you know or uh, what our yep. winemaker was saying is actually he was talking about the sort of the smell in a forest of all of the the when, what does that have to do with ring. minerals well if, so here's it, the problem again, everybody's using this term everybody and, and fascinatingly enough remember there was that study between yes. the french and the kiwis and they all found something. and they all found they all identified the same wines as having minerality but then when they were asked to define what the minerality was they had two completely different definitions for it i think i know what it means now i I've, you've you've i've just if hit on it what okay. it means is i don't know <laughs> <laughs> there's something in it i don't get a je ne sais quoi i'm going to call it a minerality, minerality. A je ne sais quoi minerality okay yes. that's good all right there was another word that was a little pushy that uh, you loved so much yeah aggressive Yo. This wine is an aggressive wine, and yeah. you think, you know, it's if part it's of the that junta. aggressive, it is part of the junta. Yeah. It probably shouldn't come out of the bottle. We should just leave it in the bottle and let it sit there until it calms it's gonna down. It's going to bully all the other wines, isn't it? <laughs> right. Yes. It's going to cause that's all right. kinds it's of That's right. It's going to grab your tongue and smack it one. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's a bad, uh, bad yes. wine. Yeah. Well, if, if you were to pair this wine with another wine, you might want to pair it with a wine that was agile so that it could avoid, avoid the, the aggressive attacks. Yeah. That was, that's always been one of my, my favorite. 
favorite uh, because I have no idea. Wine. I have no idea what it, I have no clue what that might mean. It means it's light on its feet. It's it's dancing around. It's it's, a, it's the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers of Pinot Noir. Oh, I thought it was okay. Okay, I thought okay. it might be a counterpuncher. You know, uh, well, in, in boxing it terms, you know, it, it, it bobs, be. it weaves, or it, it could also be, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to stay in the glass so I can drink it. I don't want any wine that's going to bob and weave. Yeah, that's I, entirely I possible. Get a I can't grab catch on. that wine, you know? Right. First wine's going to beat me up. The second wine <laughs> I won't gonna, be able to get to. You yeah. keep reaching for the glass and it's somewhere else. Right. Now, and your next word is one that food writers use too, and it drives me bananas. You mean focused. Yeah, apparently, I'm not. I'm not focused enough. Apparently, you're not focused enough. Yeah, yeah. Because, because I have no idea what a focused wine is. Well, yeah, you have to serve it in a special glass, or maybe you have to wear special glasses. I, that's what I was thinking. You have to, to actually. See the wine. You have to get your binoculars, and, and you, have you have to, to really focus narrow them in down. on that wine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, you you hear this in food writing too, and I think it's one of these words that that people that really, it's another one of those I don't know situations. There's something about this that I like, so I'm going to call it. This, this focus dish is whereas, focused. See, I think what they're really talking about is what the, what they really mean is that the wine is ab, is a very good typical example. It comes through as being a perfect example of this wine. It's focused on that style. But if that's the case, why don't you say it's a good example yeah. instead of saying focus? Because focus does not mean. I hope that's what they mean because at least it means something. Well, I'm trying. I'm, I'm helping them. Very, you're very charitable. Yeah. That's that. That should be a description. This is a charitable. It's wine. a charitable wine, <laughs> which is sort of the opposite of the next word. Yes, because the next word is one of my all-time favorites. This is an authoritative wine. Authoritative wine. Yes. Excuse me. Sort of like one, uh, many of our wine runners. Yes, authoritative means by golly, you had better not argue with this wine. If you serve this wine with food, the food head damn well better pay attention. Yeah, yeah. And food, do exactly yes. what the wine the food tells nods. It to do. Yes, food <laughs> nods yes, and smiles. Does all move to the left of the plate and food moves over. <laughs> move to the right of the plate, the food moves back. Yeah, that's the one that comes up. I think in often what that means is the wine is big. It's got large oh, flavors. No. Authoritative is a much longer word than big. It's true. It's got way more letters. So I think that's why it's used. I yeah. mean, you can you get paid, of course, as you know. Uh, journalists often get paid by the word, and the bigger the word, my understanding is. <laughs> well, the, no, you, rather use two small words. You oh, get, you get, you get, you get you, twice the you pay. Get twice the pay. Yeah. <laughs> well, or you can be our next word. Flamboyant. We are often called that, you know. Yeah, not by what, anybody who knows no. us very well. I was going to say, yeah. usually when I have my wrap on, and, and uh, I don't know what flamboyant means in a wine. It is. Uh, it is. Not authoritative. I do have a vision of the wine dancing right out of the glass and across the table, and I have visions of people scurrying to try to catch the wine and put it back into the glass. Well, I have visions with their bare hands. I have visions of the wine sitting at a piano with a candelabra, wearing a sequin jacket. <laughs> that's right, smiling as it plays to the crowd. As it plays, yes, yes, that's good. Uh, Okay. And then there's another one that is a bit like our, our earlier word. Yeah, I actually used this today. Yeah, describing agile, which is light on its feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yes. is the, that's the wine that's dancing that's, around. That's the wine you want to put in one of those big, heavy metal pewter coasters because otherwise it could dance right across the table. Well, I'm thinking it's the wine that sits next to the flamboyant wine playing the piano. Yes. So it dances absolutely. while the while they yes. sort of— while And I, both I, I of those wine. wines really resent the authoritative wine. Oh, they do. As they do. That's, yeah. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Yes. That's right. Yes, as do we. I resent the authoritative wine, too. And then there's the uh, a term we've already used. Yes, uh, you you pulled this out of a review earlier today, which yeah. is lifted aromas. Yes, and those are the aromas that you have to actually bend down and get. 
No, no, they're already lifted. Oh, I see. Oh, they've they're already, already been lifted. lifted. So they you are don't have to lift and get them. They're okay. pre-lifted so that you don't have to stick your nose in the glass. They just hit you right there. <laughs> okay. All right. We also ran into a couple of really weird ones. So let's uh, let's hit these ones. Uh, uh, they were also hand chosen. Yeah. For this show. W- w- one of them was pungent eggplant. Dear Lord. Um. <sighs> I have no idea. Yes, yes. I, I have no idea what pungent eggplant could mean. Uh, here's, I do know that I don't want it in my yes, wine glass. That is my argument. I'm going to say that if I if I run into that one, I am just uh, it's I'm buying the next bottle. You're hoping that wine is light on its feet and will dance right off the table, <laughs> yeah, I, allowing you to order another well, glass. I, of I want to else. be agile enough to get away from it. Is what I want to do. Yeah. Can you imagine an authoritative pungent eggplant? Oh, oh dear Lord! Uh, yeah, oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, okay. And Next you one? Have one you like? Oh, fleshy, and that was a good one. Uh, fleshy, fleshy, yep. and it was, uh, it, it was the the writer continued on this one was imagine the iron laden sensation of having a piece of raw steak in your mouth. Yum! <laughs> Yum! Yum! Man, oh man, I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah, a piece of a, a blo- bloody raw steak in your mouth, iron laden. Yeah, I want that. And last and very quickly, because we only have a couple of seconds, menthol. Isn't that a wine flavor? I just love a menthol well, wine. It comes in it's, cigarettes. It's, Why it's, shouldn't it come in wine? It is cool and is refreshing. It mentholated wine. <laughs> it is. It is cool and refreshing, just like us. <laughs> And that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Uh, Thank you for sticking with us for a year or listening even once. We'd also like to thank our engineer for sticking with us for a year. That is Matt Pacini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. And thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studios all this time. If you'd like to ask us a question, we can answer it or give it a shot at rickandpaulwine.com. All one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything from today, we hope it's that if you write snobby stuff about wine, Rick and Paul will find you. We will find you. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us.